2: fight the trump administration this is the bill press show live at youtube.com slash the bill press show over two
1: hours donald trump talks to the people at cpac who the hell is he fidel castro what's going on here hello everybody it's a monday it's a brand new week hope your weekend was a good one And you're ready to go with another big week of news here, starting off with the Bill Press show this Monday, March 4, 2019. As always, here in our nation's capital, where there's a lot going on over the weekend, yes indeed, Donald Trump back from North Korea and uh, just getting all wound up, going over to CPAC, talking for over two hours, and uh, Saturday night... Um, Washington's um, Hoy polloi, if you will, gathering for the annual gridiron dinner with the Democratic Speaker Amy Klobuchar and the Republican Speaker Senator John N. Kennedy from uh, Louisiana, uh, N standing for no, he's not that Kennedy uh, or not that John Kennedy. Uh, it, there's so much to talk about today, and it looks like if you believe him, We may have a fourth Republican senator to vote against the president's emergency declaration, but Donald Trump said he's going to veto it anyway. We've got so much to get into. Uh, Can't wait to get your comments about all the news of the day, and you know how to do so. Keep the uh, Twitter feed burning. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. It's all here on the Bill Press Show, ready to go with your comments and all that news lined up.
2: But first, this is the full court press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. But we talked last week about Bryce Harper. He's leaving Washington, D.C., signed with the Philadelphia Phillies. Yeah. Over the weekend, he gave his big introductory press conference where he slipped up. He slipped I up. I know, poor guy. We want to bring a title back to D.C., we want to bring a title yeah. back to D.C. Uh, of course, obviously, he meant to bring a title back to Philadelphia, uh, but just, you know. Uh, it's going to take him a little while to get used to it. Uh, he, yeah, he was in right. D.C. for a long time, all right? right? So, yeah, yeah I'll right. give him a pass on mm-hmm. that one. All right, here is the most Canadian story ever in Ontario. About curling? It, no, no, no. It's <laughs> uh, In Ontario, there's a grocery store called Food Basics, and customers went to go to the grocery store, but it was closed. But they had forgotten to lock the doors.
1: Oh, no. Oh. So customers... They don't lock doors in Canada.
2: A lot of times they don't. They do with businesses. And so they tried to get... You know, people went in there and the lights weren't on. Nobody was there. One woman started this trend. She went in there and she needed flour and eggs to make a cake. So she got the flour and eggs, but there was nobody to give money to. So she left a note saying... I owe you. I'll be back to pay for this stuff. And then that started the trend. All of these Canadians went into the store
1: oh. and they took
2: what they needed and they wrote little notes saying, we'll pay you back. We'll pay you back. they
1: just throwing some cash on the table. There. And then
2: they came back to pay. Oh, they all came yeah. back to pay their IOUs for the groceries that they needed and the groceries that they got over the weekend. Oh, our Canada. Right? I mean, that's yes, just the most yes, Canadian story ever. Is,
1: absolutely.
2: Uh Absolutely. Be careful if you're walking around out there. There is a new study showing, this is from the Governor's Highway Safety Association, that pedestrian deaths rose 4% last year. Whoa. 4%. That puts it at a 28-year high. 6,227 pedestrians were killed last year alone and they say that part of the problem here is because the sales of suvs are booming right now and the likelihood of surviving an impact from an suv oh wow is far less likely than surviving you know from like a sedan for yeah. obvious reasons yeah. and uh that's 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 played a major role
1: so be careful yeah huh? be
2: careful out there look both ways don't get in front of an suv This is The Bill Press Show. One more Democrat
1: jumps into the 2020 field. Uh, another one. Early this morning, another governor. this case, a former governor. John Hickenlooper from Colorado. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Here we go. It is The Bill Press Show. A little bit of the breaking news there to start off. And we welcome you to the program. The Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C., and reaching out to you all across this great country of ours, north, south, east, west, every little village, town, big city of America. We're there with you with the news of the day online, on the radio, and on television. Online, of course, on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. That's also where you find our podcast, of course, where you will, when you check out the podcast, don't forget, sign up and be a regular part of The Bill Press Team. We also join you uh, on the radio statewide in Indiana, on Indiana Talks, and hello, Chicago. Chicago and the great areas around Chicago, great communities there, on WCPT, the powerful progressive voice of Chicago for a long time now, and on on television, free speech TV nationwide as well. Thanks so much for joining us. Lots to talk about. Yes, indeed. It looks like. There may be a fourth Republican vote against the president's emergency declaration. The chair of the House Judiciary Committee yesterday saying uh, that he does believe that President Trump did, in fact, obstruct justice. Donald Trump giving a marathon over two-hour-long talk uh, at CPAC on Saturday, saying absolutely nothing, nothing except a lot of crazy stuff. We'll get into that. And... A big success for SpaceX. Uh, it's a little missile hitting or not as missile but the uh, pod there, whatever uh, hooking up with the space station. Uh, it just had a dummy po- in inside of it, a mannequin inside of it. Uh, but the members of astronauts that are up on the space station were able to climb into that little capsule uh, and uh, and check it out. a, a huge huge success. Ah, so much going on. Got to start off telling you a little bit about, uh, not the most important story, but the gridiron dinner um, Saturday night here in Washington. First of all, this is um, started, by the way, 18, Grover Cleveland was president. 1885 was the first gridiron dinner. Uh, and it's white tie once a year uh, where journalists and politicians uh, all get together in good fun Uh, kind of to poke fun at each other. There are music comedy skits that the members of the Gridiron Club, who are all journalists, uh, they write and they practice all year long. There's a a skit making fun of journalists. There's a skit making fun of Democrats. There's a skit making fun of Republicans. And then there's a Republican speaker and a Democratic speaker. Uh, And you name it, everybody was in-house for this dinner. Um, Many members of the president's cabinet, all the leading journalists of the country and and of Washington D.C. Um, sitting right in back of me was and I talked to him a little bit Rod Rosenstein who assured me uh, he's not going to be around the Justice Department much longer as he has told the world uh, and um, the Democratic speaker was uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar of course you knew that she was going to, there were going to be comments about. Um, uh, some things that have been said about her lately, uh, and sure enough, Jerry Seib, the uh, president of the Gridiron Club, started out by reminding people, uh, advising people that he said, "If you are um, not used to fancy dinners like this, we just want to give you a little advice." The fork on your le- on the left hand side of your plate is for your main course, uh, and of course, you will eat your salad with your comb. <laughs> uh, yes, and even Amy laughed at that. Uh, Amy Klobuchar promised everybody she was not going to speak as long as uh, Donald Trump spoke at CPAC. She said um, uh, her speech would be as quick as Robert Kraft's visit to the uh, Ocean Asia Spa. Oh, no. Oh.
3: <laughs>
1: In and out. So you get kind of a, a picture of the uh, kind of humor. That Yikes. Was uh, and she also said her, her slogan for 2020 was, may the best woman win. There you go. yeah sure crowd like that crowd love that uh Senator Kennedy he is a funny guy from uh uh from uh Louisiana yeah yeah and uh you know he <laughs> he started out, he told a little story he said you know down in the south we uh we like to ask people where they're from so he said uh, the other day I was at the Capitol and uh, Chuck Todd I saw Chuck Todd from NBC and so he's he he said hello Chuck how you doing where y'all from? And Chuck said, "Well, where I'm from, uh, people don't end a sentence with a proposition." <laughs> and yeah, and Kennedy said, "Okay, where y'all from, bitch?" Oh,
4: <laughs> oh, no. <God.
1: laughs> uh, and then he said, "I got that off the internet." Okay, um, all right. I, he also talked; had a little fun about talking about Alabama. He mentioned that in Alabama. Did you know this, Peter? Alabama—they raised the drinking age to a uh, thirty-two. He That's said, "Because right. he right. said because they wanted to get alcohol out of high school." <laughs> 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 That's pretty good. <laughs> uh, he was very, very good. Yeah, about that. I love that. Um, he also said that about being in the senator. A senator, you know, we don't do anything. And he said, "You know, the hard part about doing nothing is you never know when you're finished." <laughs> it's kind of weird.
2: All right, yeah.
1: And then he talked about the Super Bowl. He said, boy, wasn't that a game? He said, I don't know about you. He said, I don't know. And he said, if I wanted to see three guys, if I wanted to see guys go, a bunch of guys, if I wanted to see guys go three hours without scoring, my idea would oh, be boy. to take Bernie Sanders and Chuck Schumer to a singles bar. <laughs> God. Okay. No idea. I mean. <laughs> That's what passes for humor here in Washington, D.C. at the Gridiron Dare. And then what passes for his speech at CPAC was, whoa, Donald Trump getting up. They introduced him, turned the podium over to him, and he wouldn't let go of it. He went on for over two hours. Uh, this is the Conservative Political Action Conference, of course, uh, sponsored every year by the Americans Conservative Union, uh, you regulars will know that I was there uh, on Thursday uh, as part of a political panel and uh, round, roundly booed, which is why they invited me. So they, they needed some way they could boo anytime. I mentioned Nancy Pelosi, all kinds. You know, went crazy. Alexandra Ocasio Cortez, they booed that. When uh, somebody complained about the fact that we have a 22 trillion dollar national debt. Uh, and I pointed out, I agree, that is a real problem, and Congress is doing nothing about it. There are no more fiscal hawks in Congress, but I do have to point out that $2 trillion of that is because of Donald Trump's tax cuts. Oh, they booed that. Facts don't matter at CPAC, right? They can't, they can't stand facts, but at any rate. So this is the crowd. Donald Trump, uh, here is how he was announced at CPAC on Saturday. Please, welcome to the CPAC stage, our president, Donald Trump. Adam. Yeah, Oh, <laughs> oh, there it is. Uh, and uh, uh, Trump said, and this is true. I mean, CPAC, we'll talk about this uh, more a little bit later with um, Brittany Shepard from The Washingtonian. Um, CPAC was the, like the Tea Party of the Republican Party. They were the really extreme people. And
2: we've said this a couple of times. Rand Paul and Ron Paul always won the presidential straw poll.
1: Always won the straw poll, right? Ted Cruz won the straw poll in 2016 because Donald Trump didn't take part in it. But they've become the mainstream of the party, and Donald Trump really bought into that fringe element of the Republican Party, and they've taken over the party now. So, man, they love them some Trump. Donald Trump says, he says, this is where I started my political career, and look where I am now
3: came here probably made my first real political speech mm-hmm. and I enjoyed it so much that I came back for a second one then a third then I said what the hell let's run for president right
1: uh and then he went all over the place uh first on uh elizabeth warren um yeah it's too bad he says about elizabeth warren I just uh I, I should have saved some things.
3: I should have saved the Pocahontas thing for another year. <laughs> because I've destroyed her political career, and now I won't get a chance to run against her, and I would have loved it.
1: Uh, uh, and believe it or not, he goes way back. I mean, with, well, with two hours, you have time for just about everything. He's, he, he actually goes, went way back to <laughs> the New York Times did a great job of fact-checking, right? all the different lies that Donald Trump, the ones they could track. That what he, a
2: job. Oh, yeah, imagine that. And, and, and by the way, the I speech mean, was two hours long. Officially the <laughs> longest speech of his presidency. Of his
1: presidency, yes.
2: At uh, CPAC. So imagine having to fact check that. Imagine, oh, thank yeah. you.
1: Uh, but th- 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 that says something in and of itself, that with this guy in the White House, All the news organizations have now a whole new department called fact-checking. That every single thing he says, they have to fact-check it. Uh, Well, they started with this speech going way, way back to, remember, the very first day when he was sworn in, the biggest crowd ever in American history. Not true, but here it goes again. They showed
3: from the White House all the way down they showed from the cap they showed there were people nobody's ever seen it the Capitol, down to the Washington Monument people but I saw pictures that there were no people those pictures were taken hours before (laughs) right and they always mention crowd (laughs) size. he talks about crowd size so I'm constantly bugging Mercedes whenever we have a slow moment I say Mercedes and Sarah Show them the pictures. Show them and compare them with what they put on television. Those pictures were taken hours before. And remember this no. also, not that Obama would ever do this, but we had fencing
1: No, I the way I, I, yeah, you get He the just point. goes on and on and on, the, he's rambling. A, these lies have been refuted so many times. The Park Service took those pictures at the very same time. They He just did not have as big a crowd as Obama, period. Deal with it, dude. He also, so among the different lies that the New York Times pointed out, um, he claimed military spending was at levels nobody's ever heard of. Wrong. Uh, Congress approved actually more money under Obama. Uh, He claimed only 3% of unauthorized immigrants ever come back for a trial. Wrong. In 2017, 72% actually showed up. Wait,
2: Uh, so we went from 3% to
1: to 72%. 72%. Okay, Mm -hmm. all right. He once again I mean, lied. That's a big one. He lied about the number of uh, electoral votes that Hillary Clinton got. He also claimed there had never been an empty seat at any Trump rally, ever, <laughs> which is manifestly untrue. We've seen pictures of—I mean, he does get big crowds, but he's complained about the fact in some places there were rows of empty seats. Uh, it went It went on and on like that. And then, of course, he talked about North Korea, where with a monumental embarrassment— not only that he didn't accomplish anything with this summit, uh, but that he ended up saying he believed Kim Jong-un when Kim Jong-un told him he knew nothing about how warm beer uh, Donald Trump in, in front of CPAC, trying to have it both ways.
3: We have no testing, no missiles going up, no rockets going up, no nuclear testing. We got our great people back. We got our great, great people... And that includes our beautiful, beautiful Otto.
1: How can he say that?
2: That's amazing.
1: I mean, we didn't get Otto back. Yeah, he came back as a vegetable baser. He came back brain dead. He died six days later. That is not a victory, Mr. President. And uh, you don't turn around and believe that Kim Jong-un there's not a sparrow falls in North Korea. We know that Kim Jong-un doesn't hasn't count the feathers before it hits the ground. That guy knows everything that's going on. But as we pointed out last week, this is the pattern. Vladimir Putin said he didn't interfere in the 2016 election. Donald Trump said he believes him. MBS, Mohammed bin Salman said he knew nothing about the killing of Jamal Khashoggi. Donald Trump says he believes him. Now he believes Kim Jong-un. Absolutely disgraceful. So John Bolton... This just shows the people that he's got around him now, right? From the days when we thought there were going to be people like Jim Mattis, Rex Tillerson, H.R. Uh, McMaster, who were the grown-ups who would be, be willing to stand up and say, Mr. President, you're wrong, uh, they're gone. They're all gone. And now you've got toadies around him like John Bolton. So John Bolton with Jake Tapper yesterday on State of the Union— Asking him, so do you believe Kim Jong-un? Do you take Kim Jong-un at his word? The president takes him at his word. No, That's I know he does, he but what about you? My opinion doesn't matter. Uh, my opinion is that You're I'm a the national, national security w- advisor of the president. Right. Your not, opinion matters quite a bit. I am not the national security decision maker. That's his view. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, I'm the national security advisor, but basically I just do whatever Donald Trump tells me to do. Why?
2: It's funny, but it's also terrifying. It is terrifying. Yes. You know, any president, you would like to think that they surround themselves with experts on any given topic, right? And John Bolton, for better or worse, is the expert on uh, national security for the president.
1: Well, put it this way he's got the job. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Right. He has the expert. Where the expert is supposed to be, right? And yet,
2: he says flat out,
1: by the way, to advise the president, right? Yeah. Not and to help shape policy, not to simply wait till the president decide what he wants to do and then carry out. It it's
2: right. it's once again they're saying the quiet part loud. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what I think. Donald Trump is going to do whatever the hell he wants to do.
1: So we mentioned John Hickenlooper jumped in uh, to, over the weekend. Uh, by the way, um, uh, no, I'm sorry. This morning, as of this morning. He is a former governor, the second governor in the race, uh, following Jay Inslee from Washington State, who announced uh, last week. And we heard from Jay Inslee over the weekend. Um, and he put out the video. What was it? Friday, Friday morning. morning was yeah. it Friday morning? Just Friday morning. Uh, then he had a big rally uh, in Seattle, making it official.
3: I am announcing today that I'm a candidate to become the next president of the United States. <laughs>
1: And again, Jay Inslee's uh, chief issue, and he's going to run on this, and the the number one most important issue, climate change.
3: It is our moment to solve America's most daunting challenge and make it the first, foremost, and paramount duty of the United States, and that is to defeat climate change.
1: Meanwhile, the frontrunner among those who are already in... Senator Bernie Sanders in uh, two big rallies over the weekend. First of all, back home in Brooklyn, where um, actually for the first time, and this is uh, something new, Bernie's doing. He talked about who he is and where he grew up uh, and the influences on him, uh, starting in Brooklyn, then going to Chicago, where he was arrested in some civil rights demonstrations. Here's Bernie Uh, About what his campaign is all about, starting out in Brooklyn.
2: I want to welcome you to a campaign which says loudly and clearly that the underlying principles of our government will not be greed, hatred, and lies.
1: (laughs) There he is, Uh, and then he went on to. I wonder who he's talking about. Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) Then he went on to Chicago, where he makes a very key point, and it is certainly true. Uh, He might have been considered that wild outsider three years ago, but um, that's not the case today.
2: Three years ago, the ideas that we brought forth here in Illinois and all over the country were rejected by Democrats.
3: Not anymore.
1: (laughs) Not anymore. And it's true. Medicare for all, his signature issue last time has been embraced by, in one form or another, by every Democratic candidate so far. He did appear on The View Friday, uh, and Meghan McCain asked him, are you going to get in line with all the other candidates who are seeking the advice of the last Democratic nominee of the party?
2: We're hearing about a lot of Democratic candidates who are meeting with Hillary Clinton for advice, though. So people like Amy Klobuchar, do you think you'll do the same?
5: I suspect not. Hillary has not. not you know, she has not called me. Look, we have differences. Uh, you know, she Hillary has played a very important role in modern American politics.
2: Yep. But you're not interested in any advice from her? Uh, I think not. <laughs>
1: he's, uh, he's not going to pretend, right, that uh, everything is fine with, between him and, uh, and Hillary. So uh, he did what he could to help her last time, and now he's back on his own. Uh, by the way, a very interesting and, and somewhat troubling on the 2020 front. Um, it just, just occurred to me. We also have maybe another former governor coming in, Terry McAuliffe, right? Yes, yeah, Uh There's the other governor from Montana who's also thinking Steve about Steve Bullock. Steve Bullock. And then there's Joe. Nobody knows what Joe is going to do. Still waiting for Joe. And uh, to a certain extent, McAuliffe and Bullock, I think, are waiting, and Michael Bloomberg, to see what Joe does.
2: I, I think that's probably right. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, but in the meantime, uh, NBC and uh, Wall Street Journal out with a poll this morning that takes a look at 2020. Again, consider how early this is. So to a certain extent, doesn't mean that much. But again, aspects of this are 20 are, are a little troubling. Um, overall, Donald Trump's approval rating now has gone up the last couple of months. It's now at 46%. By the way, OK, that's the good news for Donald Trump. The bad news is it's never been above 50% since he's been president. And nobody with a approval rating of less than 50% has ever been reelected. So, but it's still 46%, too damn high. Um, would you vote for Trump today? This was some thousand people nationwide, Republicans and Democrats and independents. Would you vote for Trump today? 41% said yes. 48% said they would vote for whatever Democrat is running against him. 48 to 41, he would lose today, according to this poll. Uh, At the same time, 58% of Americans say Donald Trump is not telling the truth about Russia. And 60% saying he is not telling the truth when he says there's a national emergency at the border. Um, So 41% say they may vote for him uh, a lot more than that, 20% 20 more than that. Uh, don't believe he's telling the truth about two very important issues. Um, here are the people. It's interesting to see where Donald T- Trump's support comes from. Among Republicans, get this: eighty-eight percent of Republicans support Donald Trump. I mean, he has. So we've said so many times, taken over the Republican Party. Rural Americans, sixty percent Trump. White, no white males. No college without college degree, 60%. Where Donald Trump's lack of support comes from, African Americans, 88%. He's always saying, how do you know African Americans love him? No. They love him. 88% no on Donald Trump. Damn. Among Latinos. Is
2: that bad? 88% oppose you? Uh, is that a bad is, number?
1: I, I think you need a little better than that. Latinos, 64%. By the way, opposed. why the- But by the way, why isn't that ninety-eight percent? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, and among young people, fifty-seven percent oppose Donald Trump. So there's some, there's some. Again, okay, good news and bad news, uh, both uh, in in in, the, in that poll. Um, a couple of important things coming up this week. Uh, I'm not sure whether it's this week or next week that the Senate is going to have to vote on that resolution that passed the House overwhelmingly uh, to nullify the president's emergency declaration. Uh, As we know, if all 47, they need 51 in the Senate. If all 47 Democrats vote for it, that means they only need four Republicans. When we left you all last week and put it to rest for the weekend, uh, there were three on the record, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, and Tom Cotton. Uh, from North, North,
2: it was Tom Tillis. Tom, Tom Tillis, Tillis
1: from Tom uh, Tillis. yeah, um, North, no, Carolina. North Carolina. North
2: yeah. uh, Over the weekend,
1: Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky, said that he could never vote for this because it gives the power, uh, the president powers that uh, the Constitution does not give him, and if the Congress has not voted for the money, uh, it is uh, he he can't just say. Uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to declare a national emergency. To get it somewhere else, which is the main argument against the emergency declaration. Uh, so that means that means that there are enough Republican votes to pass that resolution in the Senate, which means it goes to the White House, which goes to the President, where he says it will veto it. And of course, all of that depends on whether or not you can believe Rand Paul. For the record, I don't. He's done this too many times. We've so many seen times. this movie over and over again. Rand Paul always says, I'm going to vote this way against Donald Trump on this important issue with for all the right reasons. And then at the end, Donald Trump—watch it. This is going to happen the same time. Donald Trump will call him down to the White House, and he'll walk out of the White House, and he'll change his mind. You can bet on that. Uh, but still— uh, there may be a couple of other Republicans or at least one other Republican to join up so um on the word that we now have enough votes to block this in the Senate, I would say, don't count on it. I don't think it's going don't think it's going to happen um I want one other one other local story here that's not a local story, but I haven't seen this anywhere else it was in the Washington Post yesterday. PD, you'd be interested in this all right so I didn't realize this there's a little one little company. Up in Derby, New York, and you know Sean Doolittle for the Nets.
2: Oh man, I'm so glad you're talking. He's about He's the this. one who who uh, brought this
1: story to our attention. Wrote yeah. a great piece in the Washington Post yesterday. So Sean Doolittle, he's a closer for the pitch for the uh, for the Nets. All
2: star All star pitcher. Went right. the All star game was yep. last year.
1: For almost 60 years, every single baseball cap of every major league team now, has been made by a factory. Uh, Called New Era.
2: New Era now
1: up in Derby, New York.
2: Yeah. So so the point that he that that he makes here is these are the ball caps that the players wear. That the players wear. New Era makes other ball caps uh, that you could buy, you know, for the public. But the ones that the players wear are made specifically at this uh, plant.
1: At this plant, which is a union plant in Derby, New York, New Era. They're they've said they're going to shut down, and they're going to um, move. Uh, their operations, and the they, they'll, 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 and they'll, they'll, now they'll be made by, instead, a non-union facility down in Florida. Uh, and Sean Doolittle points out, that means all 750 union-organized professional baseball players who take the field on opening day this season— will be wearing caps made by people who do not enjoy the same protections and safeguards safeguards that we do, which is really, really outrageous. And
2: it, this story is, is nuts. And, yeah. and Sean Doolittle and his wife have both taken this up uh, and spoken out about it. And, and they've just
1: said to New Era, hey, you've got this great monopoly, basically. Stay there in Derby the and protect your workers. That's
2: the thing. And think about the money that Major League Baseball has yeah, and the new era yeah. makes off of this. Right. And they're now right. all of a sudden starting to nickel and dime uh, on this stuff so they could save a few bucks by having non union workers make yeah. this.
1: This is plant, part of a, a corporate shift away from manufacturing, like we've seen with so many other companies, right? Taking their manufacturing jobs overseas. And Major League Baseball has said they're going to give the contract to this non union plant down in florida
2: uh it it should be pointed out that sean doolittle is uh one of the most correct baseball players when it comes to politics on all matters uh like he fought hard for uh uh uh, like an lgbtq night Mm -hmm. at the ballpark Mm -hmm. and when the nationals agreed to do it uh he personally Paid for a ton of tickets for people to come, and uh, like his wife baked them a cake. Like it was this whole big thing, and he's constantly speaking out on these social issues. And he and talks he in this. It.
1: He talks in this article too about how important your own cap is, right? I mean, the players really identify with that, right? Yeah. Like he's got a little. He didn't say what it is. A little message that he put on a with in a sharpie inside of his cap. And when he's out there and he's feeling the pressure, right, and things are not going right, takes his cap off and he's looking at that little message to boost him, boost him up. And, you know, for everybody, it's really personal to them yeah. and important. Uh, and the idea that these union jobs would be taken to some non-union plan.
2: Yeah, I'm. Uh, look, I'm really, really glad that he's speaking out about this.
1: Yeah, I am too. And it's very that. important. Uh, actually, Carol noticed that yesterday and I said, oh, i got to take that. We've got to talk about that today.
2: Uh, and with that... We'll take a quick
1: break. By the way, you don't know, maybe, that this is Women's History Month, the month of March, just starting. We want to take a look at something not many people talk about anymore, but it's still out there, called the ERA. Winsome McIntosh joins us from the McIntosh Foundation uh, to tell us all about the latest. Quick break, and we'll be right back. This is The Bill Press Show. Here we are on a Monday, March 4. How about it? The Bill Press Show. Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us as we come to you live coast to coast from our studio on Capitol Hill here in Washington, D.C. where we're brought to you today by the International Association of, these five unions all together, Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transportation. I guess that's four. Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transportation. Put them together. They make the Smart Union, the Smart Union under the leadership, members of the Smart Union under President Joseph Sellers, giving a fair day's work for a fair day's pay. You bet. We salute them and direct you to their website at smart-union.org. As you know, we've been added here for um, a little over a half an hour, and we started the show with a little bit of breaking news out of Colorado. Uh, Yet another Democrat Another governor, actually former governor, John Hickenlooper from Colorado, joining the field today with this video announcement.
3: I'm running for president because we need dreamers in Washington, but we also need to get things done. I've proven again and again, I can bring people together to produce the progressive change Washington has failed to deliver. Join me and we'll repair the damage done to our country and be stronger than ever.
1: So he is in. We've made the point uh, that uh, both Republicans and Republican Party and the Democratic Party have done very well running governors for president with that little bit of executive experience.
2: By the way, in his video, he talks a lot about the executive experience. He, that- he, he talks about the infrastructure that he built in Colorado and in, in Denver specifically. Uh, he also talks about how he took on the NRA. Remember mm-hmm. the Aurora yep. uh, right. movie theater shooting, how they fought the NRA on that. Uh, so he talks a lot about that executive uh, experience.
1: Uh, and there were several senators, but no governor until Friday, when uh, Governor Jay Inslee of Washington State announced. And now we have uh, former Governor John Hickenlooper, uh, and there are um, two, at least two others, former no, I mean former Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe and Montana Governor uh, Steve Bullock who are considering um, joining the field as well. Uh, and uh, this is a the beginning of the uh, month of March, uh, and it is, believe it or not, Women's History Month, uh, and uh, which leads us to what's going on in the women's movement today and, believe it or not, also what's going on with the Equal Rights Amendment, uh, very much a part of that movement. Winsome McIntosh is president of the McIntosh Foundation, are uh, kind enough to join us in studio this morning. Hi, Winsome, it's nice to see you. Good morning. Happy Women's History Month, I yes, guess, huh? thank you, right? yes. This is sort of the year of, become the year of the woman, hasn't it, right? It with-
6: has, it's been the timing on looking at the ERA, I think, is right now. And that started basically two years ago with Trump's election and the big uh, march the day after the inauguration,
1: right, the women's march, right, right. But I forget. Do you remember when was the ERA first passed?
6: Back in actually, um, 1928. No, yes. really, yeah, it, it was passed during this with suffragettes. Mm-hmm. However, uh, it came alive again in the 60s, and um, it is it, uh, it. I think in about 72. It was uh, really moving along mm-hmm. and then it began to stall. Uh, there was a time limit on it that was put on by Congress at the time, which had never been done before in any other amendments, um, which makes it questionable whether it's really legal or not. But in any case, they uh, they got to set 37 states uh, by 1982. And they needed, no, I'm sorry, 35 states. And Uh they needed three more. Yeah. And then it went dormant. And it's been sitting there for about 40 years.
1: So you said, I'm sorry, um, the time deadline, you got to 35 states by 19...
6: 1982. 82, yeah. And 82 was the time limit put on it.
1: Three short.
6: Three short. Yeah. And so for 40 years it's laid dormant. Uh, And this is not unusual for amendments. Mm -hmm. Um, There's one in particular uh, that the 27th Amendment that was actually sat for a little over, uh, I think, about 203 years before uh, it was finally passed. And it went in uh, back in the early 90s. Mm -hmm.
1: So don't give up yet is what you're saying, right? No. And the challenge
6: of that, I think— is is um, is easily answered in court? I think.
1: But so if it if the time ran out in '82, yeah, does it still have any life today?
6: It does. In fact, two years ago, uh, Nevada all of a sudden passed it, uh, passed the ratification. Mm-hmm. Followed the next year so by th- Illinois. The- Okay, so, so now we're up to thirty-seven.
1: Thirty-seven, and just, we
6: need thirty-eight. So we're looking for one more state to put it over the. Uh,
1: wow, that's yeah. exciting! So you're it is exciting. But you're assured that the thirty-five that did it before nineteen eighty-two that's still they're still valid.
6: Yes, they are.
1: Okay, the so yes, states. They those are. states, whenever they did it, they voted to ratify. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay, uh, you need one more state. Um. What's, yep. What What are the likely states? Do you have any well, targets? Well,
6: we really thought that it was going to be Virginia, and it came very, very close in Virginia, uh, but it uh, never got to the floor. It was held up in committee, mm-hmm. which has happened quite a bit in, in Virginia over the years. Yeah. Um, so now we're looking at Arizona, which is very actively involved. Arizona
1: has two women senators.
6: That's right, and a Democratic uh, governor. Mm-hmm. Um, and 40 percent of Arizona's elected officials are women. It's right. the largest uh, uh, co- you know, g- gathering of, of elected women in all of our country. And so there's a good good mm-hmm. shot there. Yeah. Um, also North Carolina mm-hmm. and Georgia.
1: Yeah, might be more difficult than those two states. Yeah,
6: but. yeah. Uh, but there are very active women's groups in all of those states that are really dedicated to getting this Equal Rights Amendment passed.
1: Um, so there are active movements underway in, yes. in Virginia, Arizona, North Carolina, and Georgia. Yes. Um, and Where can people go to find out? Is there a, one central website? ERA.org, or do you go to, go to your foundation? or
6: uh, No. Uh, it would probably be, you know, if, if you just equalrightsamendment.org, Google, equal right huh? Google yeah. uh, a lot will come up. Right. But there are, you know, the women's movement is beginning to get energized over the thought of doing this again. Uh, they lay dormant for quite a while. So I have real hopes that in my lifetime, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have that much left of it, that um, I will actually see it pass. I
1: know. At one point, I read the Equal Rights Amendment, and mm-hmm. and certainly I remember back in in California, um, campaigning for it, um, supporting it. Mm-hmm. But I, it's been a long time since I read it. I mean, it doesn't.
6: It's do, a very simple. it doesn't do anything sentence. like
1: really radical, right? It just no. says that. No that women deserve equal rights as men. I'll read it to you.
6: Equality of rights under the law, that's the key, under the law, shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or any state on account of sex. That's all it is. And that wording is almost identical wording to the 19th Amendment that gave women the right to vote. Neither Mm -hmm. place does it mention women at all. And in fact... In the Constitution, there is virtually no no word, woman or women. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in any case, it, uh, it is, it's a symbol. All it does is it says, you know, women are equal to men under the law. Right. And that really begins to—and the importance of that is that that makes it, if it's in the Constitution— um, under legal terms, it makes the it gives it the strict scrutiny um, element, where your uh, court system in interpreting the law um, then has very defined uh, narrow uh, area in which to make a decision based on the constitution. Mm-hmm. So but,
1: it's a so, very Read that again just that one sentence if I can, if, if you would. Equality
6: of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or any state on account of sex.
1: Okay. So uh, to me it is so you know just self-affirming, right? Just by re- hearing those words.
6: Yeah. What are the
1: arguments you get against it?
6: Oh, you know,
1: I mean, people just don't say we don't think women are equal to men, right? I mean, right. But they must they don't. come up with
6: and and you know, interestingly enough, um, i read a statistic that something like over eighty percent of the people in this country assume that this is already in the constitution. Of course. Yeah, they just oh, they're the, shocked to think. Or
1: if not the constitution, again, yeah, in an amendment to the yeah. constitution, I know. right?
6: I know. And and it all started back in uh, the early 70s with Phyllis Shafley, who led the charge against uh, the ratification. On you know scare tactics of it's gonna it's gonna harm our family unit. It's going to we're gonna have to shared bathrooms. Very specious things like that 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 made no sense. But but actually emotionally they worked, and I've. In Virginia, particularly, just recently, um, I heard those same arguments coming up again. It was shocking to me. And, you know, when people ask me, well, well, why is this necessary? I say, well, do you consider your daughter to be an equal? And if you have to even pause about that, then, you know, you're we're in trouble because that's what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, to, again... It's just equality. That's I, I, all about
1: I, um, having spent a career uh, debating issues, I always try to see um, and understand arguments from the other side. Yeah, This is one in which I just... <laughs> I fail to see any argument against and other than, as you say, be, I mean, men afraid that women are going to take their jobs away from them.
6: Yeah, all of that. Uh, but you know what? I'm... Uh, a World War II baby. And I grew up in the 50s. I married. I went to college in the 60s. I married and had a family in the 70s and 80s. I then went into professional life in the 90s. And so I have seen 74 years of changing of our uh, society where women, starting mm-hmm. in World War II, join the workforce for the first time, essentially, because it was necessary, sure. part of uh, witty to war. Mm-hmm. Um, so those, those arguments Rosie are the Riveter. really, yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Th- those, those arguments are really emotional ones, and I think they, they really now resonate mostly in religious communities, conservative re- religious communities. But I also know that when it comes to politics, uh, they can be pulled out from the conservative elements um, to generate interest in their particular fa- following. Right. If you know, it's an emotional issue.
1: So you would hope we would hope that that this year uh, we might get, um, and it doesn't have to come back to Congress, right? it's, no. it's already passed. Congress, Congress is finished. Right.
6: Yeah. Yeah. It really the minute. 38, um, state. This 38 state it up. comes in, yeah. Um, it then goes in. It has a two-year time period, and then it goes into the constitution. Now I know that there's going to be challenges to that. Number one, the uh, time limit. But number two, five states chose to rescind their original ratifications, mm. and that will be a challenge as well. So what? Our foundation has done is put together a crack legal team that has been working for well over eighteen months now, analyzing all of the issues and researching the legal precedents uh, and going back two hundred years. Frankly, so
1: that you're ready for that core challenge. When I am it comes. ready for that. Right.
6: That's that's what I want to contribute to this overall effort.
1: So when you when you mentioned uh, the thirty 35- five. Of the 35 states, five of those 35 uh, um, uh, have, rescinded. have rescinded. Which are they?
6: Oh, if Idaho, Kentucky, Nebraska, South Dakota, and Tennessee. Well, South and West a yeah, little bit, you know. Yeah.
1: No surprising hearing from those, but disappointing. And, and
6: those were done; those rescissions were done back in the 70s. Uh, so we I, don't know. I what was just the going to raise that like. question. Yeah. They
1: might, if they had to, right uh-huh. they they might be able to come back today and rescind the rescission <laughs> if well you they, will. Could, they could do that, but the, yeah.
6: but I think the key here is rescission was never a part of the constitutional process for amendments, so I think that challenge in itself would eliminate it. but I was in. Uh, Congressman Spears, Jackie Spears' offices last week, mm-hmm. talking with their staff about it, and she has put along with Senator Cardin uh, together. Uh, they they have introduced a bill in the House and the Senate to uh, take away the time limit, which they can do because the House actually put it put it and right. the, the Congress put it there back in the '80s. So. That would take care of that problem anyway, and I don't see any reason why that shouldn't happen. Um,
1: you've got it seems to me the timing, um, is so good right now for this. Um, yeah. uh, it is first of all, it, again, it makes so much sense, number one, but also with the Me Too movement, right? Yeah. which, uh, which is so powerful. You pointed out also on the political front, um, that. What started as the march on Washington on January twenty one, the day after the inauguration, mm-hmm. has never really stopped. I mean, women no, have gone from true. from marching to running, right? You know? And that's there were true. more women running in twenty eighteen than ever before. More yeah. women won in twenty eighteen than ever before yeah. at every level. State legislators, so exciting. State legislatures, counties supervisors, city councils, yeah. members of Congress, uh and Senate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and there are more women running for president today than yeah. ever before. it's so, amazing. Yeah. And so again, this is thank you, Donald Trump, but for yeah, some of that. Yeah, that's
6: true. That's true. But I think you remember 1992 was a year of the women mm-hmm. where we had a surge of women that got involved in uh, running for office and getting involved in government. I think we're seeing that again. Um, and I think that's really, really important. And probably the reason that the Equal Rights Amendment, we could even talk about it today, uh, is because of the emergence of women back paying attention to governing.
1: Right. Um, so um, I was on a panel at um, CPAC Thursday. Oh, that where, must have been interesting. Uh, that was <laughs> I, I escaped with my life. Um, <laughs> that one of the panelists said that um, that Democrats believe Democrats know rather. He said that um, that they cannot win that. Their, their nominee for president has to be a white male. That they've learned that that uh, no woman could could uh, win for president of the United States today. We're not ready for it. I told him, I fundamentally disagree with that.
4: Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
1: Um, do you think Do you think America is ready to? Uh, you know, yeah. we've got some great women running. Do you think I America's think America is ready?
6: ready to to whether it'll be this election or one in the future.
1: But we're talking about this one. (laughs) Well, if we're
6: talking about this one, um, I'm not sure that that would take on Trump. I really don't. I'm not sure, but that's just my opinion. Um,
1: Uh, You know, there's some Democrats who are looking at, who I think are um, shell-shocked from what happened with Hillary Clinton, yeah, where we yeah. were sure she was going to win,
4: yeah. uh, and didn't, yeah.
1: uh, and therefore, but I, I, to me, the lesson drawn from that is not that no woman can w- run. No, that's it's just true. that you have to run a better campaign than Hillary did.
6: That's true. That's true.
1: Right, and um, so I, 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 I think you know we've got some very strong women out there with Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris oh, and Tulsi. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they're all totally capable. Right.
6: Absolutely. They're very qualified. Um, I, I, I just think that maybe the population as a whole is shell-shocked right now and probably not knowing which way to go.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, well, well, we'll see how that shakes down. <laughs> I was uh, with uh, I, well, I was at a dinner Saturday night, the gridiron dinner where Senator Klobuchar spoke, oh, and yeah. she said her, her, her motto for 2020 is, May the best woman win. Oh, good. I like that motto. It's great work that you're doing, Winsome. Thank Thank you so much for the Macintosh Foundation. Uh, And uh, all we can say, calling out to those of you living in Virginia, Arizona, North Carolina, or Georgia particularly, just Google um, ERA, your state. I'm sure there's an organization there There that you can jump in and help out. And get this uh, over the top and make the ERA the uh, law of the land, part of the Constitution. Yeah, it's
6: our obligation to invest, and I'm investing in a bunch of those states right now. Good for you.
1: Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you so much. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends. Don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of The Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show, and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support.
5: Thing you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show. Live at youtube.com/slash
2: the Bill Press Show.
1: Rand Paul says he's a no-vote on that emergency declaration, which means uh there are enough votes to get it past the Senate if you believe Rand Paul. Of course, that's a big if, because he uh has often led us down that path and then um, double-crossed us at the very end. He could do it again. Hello, everybody. It's a Monday, March 4. Great to see you today. Thanks so much for joining us for the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. With all the news of the day, yes, Donald Trump, a marathon, over two-hour speech at CPAC on Saturday, where he rambled on and on and said basically nothing. The House today, the House this week, rather, will be voting on its number one signature piece of legislation, H.R. 1, uh, dealing with voting rights and campaign finance reform and ethics reform, Uh, Nancy Pelosi's number one priority. It's been through the committees, goes to the floor this week, Uh, and again building up for that Senate vote on the emergency declaration uh, to nullify it. Uh, President Trump says he would veto it, but important to get it first passed through the Senate. Uh, And speaking of CPAC, you know, I just went over there like for an hour, right? But poor Brittany Shepard from the Washingtonian, she was there all three days nonstop. I don't know how you survived it. Hi, Brittany. How are you? Hi,
0: I'm doing good. Um, I don't know how I survived it either. It was my very first CPAC and I feel like I'm Feeling the aftershocks still on Monday.
1: All right. Well, give us the highs and the lows. That's why we're glad to have you uh, fa- have you in today. Uh, and we want to hear from you, too. Your comments on all the news of the day, including the President's Marathon speech at CPAC. Uh, send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. But first...
2: This is the Full Court here. All righty. Just a couple of other stories making news. All right, so Netflix has been doing pretty well with the Oscar categories here recently. Roma got a ton of praise with the Academy Awards. Well, it didn't win Best Picture, uh, but will we see it move away from the Oscars? Well, if Steven Spielberg has his way,
5: they huh. will. Whoa.
2: Steven Spielberg is preparing to address the Academy and saying he wants Netflix to be banished from the Oscars and to instead... Be a part of the Emmys because it's TV, it's TV. versus huh. movies. Now, there have been a lot of filmmakers, including Ava DuVernay, who has done some work with Netflix, who says this is absolutely the wrong approach. Hmm. And they're sort of fighting back on this. So, what do you think? Is Netflix, do they make movies or do they make TV?
1: I saw Roma, they make movies. They
2: make movies, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to remember where I saw Roma, but I thought I saw it
2: at well, East Street. So they did show Roma in theater. Yeah. Right? But yeah, it was made, yeah. but it, very limited run. Right. But it was made for Netflix, yes, and that's yes. where it debuted. And then for yeah. award season, they put it into theater so that it could get nominated for an award. That's sort of how they have to do these things. Right. But right. Steven Spielberg says that's not fair. And you know
1: what I saw last night. Right. Um, the best documentary, Free Solo.
2: The movie is crazy.
1: By the way, I'm not going to do that.
2: No, you're not going to do that? No, I've decided. You're not going to climb... A, a I
1: mean, El Capitan. El Capitan, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's beautiful and it's challenging, but uh, it's okay. I can I can enjoy it from, from a distance. Yeah,
2: I like a rush <laughs> as much as anybody, but I'm fine to watch. Uh, one other quick story. Uh, there is a debate taking place in New York City. Bill de Blasio is pushing for New York City to become the very first or I should say put New York to become the very first uh, state to make it mandatory that business offered offers paid vacation. Mm. Paid vacation time. It is not mandatory and he wants New York to make it mandatory.
1: Good for him and it yeah, should be yeah. and I thought it was. It's yeah. not.
2: It's not nowhere in America is it mandatory.
1: All right. Go for it.
2: This is the
1: Bill Press Show. Deadly tornadoes ripping through the south. The latest death toll that we've seen is 23 in Alabama. We're keeping our eyes on that for you. Um, a little warning, sudden uh, attack of, uh, attacks of several tornadoes on the poor people down there. Uh, just trying to dig out from under right now. Again, we'll keep our eye on that and let you know. Uh, more news as we go through the hour here on the Bill Press Show on this Monday, March 4. Welcome to the program. Great to see you today. Hope your weekend was a good one and that you are ready to dive into with both feet of uh, this busy news day again or this busy news week. Uh, with a lot coming up, the Senate will be gearing up to vote on that resolution which passed the House to notify the Donald Trump's emergency declaration. And the House will also be voting on its signature piece of legislation, the number one priority for Speaker Pelosi and House Democrats, H.R. Uh, 1, a bill that includes campaign finance reform, voting rights reform, pardon me, and ethics reform uh, in the House. Uh, all of that as w- coming as we join you online, on the radio, and on television nationwide. With the help of Brittany Shepard from the great Washingtonian magazine, who is um, recovering from spending the last three days of last week? Right? Yes, yes. At CPAC, uh, that's a wild, wild gang over there. I was there just one afternoon.
0: Yeah, it, it was a motley crew. You know, when I was prepping for going to CPAC, talking to reporters who have been there for several years, some have only been there for a couple years. They told me to prepare for the wild and crazy fringe. Right. And you know, and you a mix of GOP establishment of people who like to have fun and get up to no good. And I really wasn't prepared for what essentially to me felt like a high school and college mixer with a couple of panels with actual policy on the side. It was a really sight to be seen.
1: Well, first of all, uh, Donald Trump, um, when he spoke Saturday, he talked about uh, the fact that this was his kind of political birth, you know, where Mm -hmm. he started in politics um, at CPAC. Uh, Here's here's, here's, uh, how he started his speech Saturday.
3: Came here, probably made my first real political speech, and I enjoyed it so much that I came back for a second one, then a third, then I said, what the hell, let's run for president, right? (laughs)
2: That's how most people make their decision to run for president, right? right? They say, what the hell, I'll run for president of the United you
1: States. You go in front of a bunch of crazies and you get a lot of uh, you know support and then you say, oh, this feels good, let's run for president. But he is making a point, isn't he, that I remember when CPAC really was the fringe element of the Republican Party.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And some establishment politicians wouldn't even go because they were establishment Republicans, but they would have been booed at CPAC. Now you had... Mike Pence on Friday and Donald Trump on Saturday.
0: Oh yeah, and I mean Ted they've Cruz. taken over the
1: party, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. It, it seemed like a Trump rally in Maryland. It, it felt like all the other rallies that yeah. I've covered, that where it was, you know, Trump's main base and being this is what Republicanism is now. This is where the grand old party is currently. Not this is how the fringes of our party are acting and how they're trying to integrate themselves with the mainstream. It's really interesting to see how more narrow that run rate has been from where the far right is and where Trump and the GOP is currently.
1: Right. You mentioned in Maryland, when I was driving down there from Washington, when I got to the Maryland state line... um, I pulled over to the side of the road and I said a prayer for Larry Hogan. <laughs> yeah.
0: Pour one out on the side of the street. For Go, Larry. <laughs> for Go, Larry. Go, Larry.
1: Run, Larry. Run, Larry, run. <laughs> he
0: might have been the only one in that area sending one up for Larry Hogan that weekend.
1: I'll tell you one thing. He didn't show up at CPAC.
0: Oh, not at all. Not no. at all. I Not many liberal personalities or politicians to be seen. Um, I went to a party f- um, that Turning Point USA, which is like a college far-right activist group through, and Dan Crenshaw showed up, and Donald Trump Jr. showed up, just kind of throwing red meat to a pretty sparse crowd. Really? Yeah, well, it was, hmm. and it was interesting to me, sorry, to, to see a bunch of cardboard cutouts of people who they're kind of trying to punch sideways. There was a cardboard cutout of Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, who we know kind of lives rent-free in the GOP's mind right now, and the word pendeja, which loosely translates to idiot expletive for a woman, which I'm not going to say before noon, <laughs> um, like scribbled on her face, and people were just kind of taking photos with it. That's disgusting. That's disgusting. It was just yeah. really interesting to see how that's juvenile. kind of the banner event for the weekend. Well,
1: Peter was uh, was curious as to, even last week he was asking, whether the parties are as good as they used to be. Well, right?
2: cause that's the, I know this was your first Pag, Brittany, but mm-hmm. I have to say it was a couple of years ago. There were good ass parties at CPAC, even Breitbart. Like Breitbart. Like full disclosure, I crashed all these parties. He used to
1: have throw a huge party,
2: huge parties at CPAC, and I went to a a bunch of them over the years. And now it's just kind of like they they've sold out, man. Well, that's
0: what I've heard. (laughs) I heard they were bangers, and I expected to go there, you know, watching like debaucherous acts happen, and be like, okay, awesome, like live your truth. But it really felt like a parent-teacher conference where the kids were allowed to have a couple cocktails. It it was pretty baffling. There was a James O'Keefe party that I did not get into um, on Friday night. And it it just seemed like a, a bunch of college freshmen and sophomores just looking to take selfies with Nigel Farage and Joy Villa instead of people looking to celebrate their wins. And honestly, coming off November, there might not be that much to celebrate for CPAC.
1: Is anything accomplished by the whole deal?
0: I think that if you're an Instagram personality, uh, a GOP Twitter personality, that is the place to make a scene and to get headlines written about you. Like, obviously, I was there. I wrote about Laura Loomer. A lot of people wrote about Laura Loomer going to the press filing room and loomering journalists she didn't like, like Oliver Darcy, Will Summer. Um, you know, she was trying to target Jared Holt. You know, reporters who cover the right for a living. Those people can really make a scene and drum up publicity for themselves. But beyond that, I'm not so sure that people well, beyond Maryland really care.
1: But, but wait a minute. So she was targeting journalists who cover the the right. Yes, and who have written about
0: her before, and Alex Jones about you know these far right French people who have been deplatformed or taken off Twitter, taken off Facebook. I interviewed her. Apparently, she's taken off Venmo, off of Uber Eats. I didn't know you could get kicked off Uber Eats, which is wild for the Uber like order. So uh-huh.
2: let's see. She's been kicked off of Twitter, Uber, Uber Eats. She got kicked out of CPAC. She's kicked off of Venmo. Bank. Uh, gosh, uh, if you're getting kicked out of all these different things, maybe the problem is you?
1: Yeah. Uh, right. Now, I'll tell you a couple of things that surprised me. Again, my first visit to CPAC, too, is um, so. Uh, I ran into a fellow panelist, uh, Charlie Hurt, uh, was on the panel with me, um, conservative, does a lot of Fox News, work, work, writes for the Washington Times. And he, he and I have been friends for a while. And he lives in the neighborhood. I ran into him be- Thursday morning. And I said, so are you going to wear a tie? And he says, I'm not sure. I don't know. So I was just thinking of wearing a jacket and a shirt. But I then I put on a tie and I thought, I'll take it off. And I got there. First of all, there were so many... Most of the people I saw, there was a pretty young crowd. Yes. College and high school.
0: Yeah, it's like college, high school interns, like eighth grade trips, that vibe.
1: Right. They were all in suits and ties. Mm -hmm. All of them. All these kids were wearing ties, right? If if not a jacket and tie, at least a shirt and a tie. I was blown away by that, so I kept my tie on. (laughs) I mean, I thought, I'm not going to be there.
0: It's kind of daddy's fursuit, you know, it's that like like over boxy hill turn vibe. these, These are children. People forget, you know, they walk around like they're adults because that's the whole vibe of CPAC. And Turning Point USA really wanted to hammer that down, and even all their press for their party that happened on Friday, that we're gonna make conservatism cool again. We're not like the old stodgy, you know, GOP. And even Dan Crenshaw said this during his speech at the party that we're not like the old cigar smoking GOP we're fun but we're fun meaning we're 21 and 22 year old interns I don't there was a bit of a disconnect there for me I mm-hmm. found that really interesting
1: yeah so I found that strange. and then the other thing is um, the radio row I mean if you name it right-wing radio man there were. Hundred people there.
0: Oh yeah, it was all Everybody. stuffed in. Everybody, you was name like it. Red carpet, step and repeat. Seb Gorko was there after he got a parking ticket, which I thought was quite funny. Um, you know, any kind of far right or conservative outlet. If you wanted radio space, you could walk in there with a microphone. It was a bit chaotic.
1: Right, uh, and there were people who were working the working the row right. Mm-hmm. Like I saw Ben Carson. You know, was going from booth to booth, basically doing interviews, and and I'm sure.
0: Very sleepish walk, yeah. <laughs> Charlie Kirk, too, was making the rounds, obviously, because he wants to make himself this new conservative flashbang. Candace Owens was also there working Radio Row. People were really trying to get their name out there, and I suppose that if you're in a place to improve your brand as a conservative, and that's a whole other conversation of what that means now, CPAC right. was the place to show up.
1: Right. Uh, one person that, who was strolling around uh, I didn't see her doing any radio interviews. I didn't see her do anything other than stroll around through the halls, followed by TV crews. Was Laura, Laura Bush? Uh, Laura, I'm sorry, Trump. Laura Trump. Oh, Eric's I, wife.
0: Yes. I didn't even see her personally was she just walking around the exhibition booth or just radio row just
1: just walking around the hall I mean yeah that whole main central area I saw her several times
0: Well that really underspersed... she had an
1: entourage and TV cameras following her and I didn't even know who she was to Tell the truth. I ask, you're like, who
0: is that? Who is that woman? Well, that, that, that definitely underscores to me it's definitely a place to be seen, to be spotted, right? Like you want that playbook line that I was at CPAC hobnobbing. If you're in that political class with all those other, all those other people, it's not really this marketplace of ideas that I think it used to be.
1: Okay, so um, Fidel Trump. Oh, I'm sorry, Donald Trump uh, gave a two hours, two hour plus speech, right?
0: Yeah, his longest ever.
1: Right. Um, did people walk out?
0: I mean, it was pretty packed in the beginning. There were lines from around four or five a.m. Like these people really love Donald Trump. I let that be known. But it, once you hit the two-hour mark, I think you lose even the most fervent <laughs> supporters. Like I, there are many people, many people who I love. Who I don't think I would stick around to speak for two hours. Uh, people were, you know, filing out and leaving. It wasn't, you know, a mass exodus out. But yeah, you no, know, like there were people leaving the room. And uh, if you look at the media overflow room, our photographer was there. There was like one person <laughs> just sitting there in their own private movie theater, essentially. So it wasn't, even though the main room was packed and there were people behind the media filing center, mm-hmm. there weren't that many other people in this overflow. The crowd size can definitely, it, it, it is what you make of it, I suppose.
1: Um, and uh, one yeah, I, th- I,
2: By the way, I, I don't think I can think of anybody I would want to listen to speak for two hours. Even Barack Obama. Uh, probably the best speaker we've ever had as president. I wouldn't want to sit through a two-hour
1: no, in fact, no, no. From Obama. He, you're absolutely right. In fact, I remember his remember the farewell speech he gave. I think he went out to Chicago for it. Um, at any rate, and it went on too long. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was like an hour or so.
2: That's too much.
1: Yeah, right. Um, and I mean, I give a lot of speeches. To me, the ideal time is like. 25 minutes. Bingo. Maybe.
2: Yeah. That's it.
1: Yeah. You know, no matter who you are, 25 minutes. Leave them wanting more.
0: Exactly. Like, two
1: hours. Um, and then, to be kind, we'd have to say it was unscripted. Right? <laughs> yeah.
0: I think that's the general. He was not reading from a teleprompter. No, it was completely unwheeling. It was all, it was a classic off-prompter Trump, which means hitting reporters, naming them, name Dame Weigel. Like having a whole spiel about Dave Weigel at the Washington Post is wild at an official CPAC speech and then you know he's hitting all of his classic bases like okay religious right here's some red meat um young trumpers here's some red meat build the wall immigration you know anti-muslim hawks here's your red meat and he was just he was like a level one improviser student who was like going on too long you know but he was really loving the energy in that room and he I don't think he's been getting that a lot Lately, you've seen the, media, the press around Trump is, you know, Trump's losing on the wall, Trump's losing in with Kim, uh, Trump's losing the House. So he's like, OK, well, I'm winning now. You could mm-hmm. really tell he was trying to capitalize on the energy of like, they love me, they really love me, so you're stuck. Right. We're never going to leave. All
2: right. We have to talk about the best part, though, was when he first came out and he gave a giant bear hug to the American flag. Oh, yes. oh that's yeah, that's USA right yeah. there. Yeah. right? <laughs> 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 you can't be more patriotic than literally giving a bear hug to the American flag.
1: Uh, right, uh, that picture has, is, is out there. You haven't seen it uh, already, and and of course he started out um, by talking about the very first day of his presidency, uh, where uh, he uh, still insists despite all the evidence to the contrary that he had the biggest crowd in the history of presidential inaugurations.
3: They showed from the White House all the way down, they showed from the cap, they showed there were people, nobody's ever seen it. The Capitol down to the Washington Monument, people, but I saw pictures that there were no people. Those pictures were taken hours before, <laughs> right? And they always mention crowd size. He talks about crowd all size. Right, all right, all yeah. right, all right. So I'm constantly- By the way,
2: it's, it's a rambling clip that I, just, I tried uh, to pull down cr- to like yeah. a 20-second he goes second on second. and on. It but- goes on and on and on about
1: it. Yeah, accusing the Park Service, mm-hmm. right, of working against him, the deep state.
2: And that's where he name-checked Dave Weigel yeah. from the Washington Post multiple times.
1: Yeah, and they t- they took these pictures- well before the inauguration started, right? Just- yeah,
0: the, like the reports were colluding with the you know Park Service um, attendees just you know game the system against him and say what you want. He can deliver a joke. I <laughs> to hear him just like deliver these lines to the crowd who was eating it up. You know he knows how to pander. But it, I mean, we've hammered and drilled down on this so many times. It was obvious that the crowd, the numbers that they pulled for the crowd was. From online and streaming, and even still, it wasn't anywhere close to the biggest presidential. After under- what happened
1: to life. Sean Spicer, he would think you would think that he would uh, he would just let that thing live. Mm-hmm. Maybe people would forget about it. But well, he, Sean he,
2: was weak. Sean was weak. That's I can right, handle he was this. weak.
1: You know, and he said among other things, he he, he uh, 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 undercounted how many electoral votes that that Hillary got, which he's done over and over again. He said he never had an empty seat at any one of his rallies ever. Uh, which is just manifestly not true. He has a bugaboo with
0: numbers, doesn't he? No, he does. <laughs> yeah. yeah, size. Yeah, it's size to him matters, but it's in, in in his own interpretation of reality, which is like you know far from the truth. As it seems, as the days go on, he just keeps throwing out these numbers that don't ever add up.
1: Uh, and of course, he had to talk about the 2020. Um, uh, he's feeling um, he thinks he made a mistake with Elizabeth Warren.
3: I should have saved the Pocahontas thing for another year. Because I've destroyed her political career, and now I won't get a chance to run against her, and I would have loved it.
4: Oh, Mm -hmm.
1: too bad. (laughs) if It saved us that insult for another. Yeah, right.
0: Well, there's 16, 15 people now that you can apply so many more insults
1: to. I'm surprised he didn't go uh, off against uh, each one of them. And I thought it was kind of strange when he got into uh, North Korea— of course, he didn't explain the fact that yeah, I went all the way over there for a deal and I didn't make any deal. But right. um, but he has to kind of kind of try to put the best possible spin on it and ends up with a very awkward moment, I think.
3: We have no testing, no missiles going up, no rockets going up, no nuclear testing. We got our great people back. We got our great, great people. And that includes our beautiful, beautiful Otto.
1: Well, as we know, yeah. we didn't really get Otto back. We got a brain dead,
3: you know, corpse student, back almost, right? Yeah. Just
1: died six days later. Uh, Our beautiful, and of course,
3: beautiful Otto.
1: And he's trying to cover up for the fact that he ended the. He believed Kim Jong un when Kim Jong un told him he didn't know anything about the brutal torture uh, murder of Otto Warmbier. Um, and that would have been hard for that crowd to explain to that crowd, right? So. Oh,
0: absolutely. Even going into any kind of like policy discussion would have been way over that crowd's head. Especially when you look <laughs> at when you look at other panels. I was there for you know a big tech panel, which is interesting and important to conservatives. Now is Google censoring conservatives? Twitter censoring conservatives? Mm. The short answer is not really, but it is an actual substantive policy question that I thought that these people would be you know, wanting to discuss, there were maybe four rows of people, five rows of people at that event. So it you could really tell where their interest was. And just on the Otto thing, you know, when Otto Warmbier's parents come out with a pretty harsh statement, I think, saying, you know, condemning what happened and really feeling for their son and, you know, son was murdered essentially in North Korea coming out against the president. I don't know if this was the right messaging move yeah. for Trump to just not completely denounce what happened, and send his condolences along.
1: Uh, one of the things that surprised me on our panel is that Matt Schlapp, who is the president of the American Conservative Union and the sponsor of CPAC, mm. um, actually said that he thinks it would be important that there be a primary challenge to Donald Trump in 2020. Uh, the crowd did not want to hear that.
0: <laughs> oh, no, not at all. They don't want right. any any kind of deviation from their norm and their new normal is Donald Trump.
1: Right. Um and the only one that they could mention running was, maybe well William Weld right mm-hmm. it's a joke, uh really yeah and um and anybody else who might have a chance
2: possibly Larry Hogan again he's the only one <laughs> that's now. the only one yeah, really I mean Larry. Kasich is
1: out Flake is out Bob Corker is out
2: yeah I don't I mean I don't know who else could possibly. Jump in. I, I don't see anybody. And Larry Hogan's not going to jump in, just to be clear. No, he's right? not. Like, I, I think it's cute that we we're talking about it. But William Weld jumped in.
0: That'll probably be it. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can swing back Lincoln Chafee to the Republican <laughs> Party and he can run again. He was a Republican. <laughs> yes, yeah, he right. was.
1: Yeah, you know, they could have Howard Schultz if they wanted.
2: Sure. <laughs> <We'll get laughs>
1: sure.
0: Mike we'll Bloomberg. They could. Or Bloomberg yeah, was they... a Republican too yeah. at one time. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So, but. Right. Yeah, I, I think the the answer is there's not going to be anybody. The meaning there'll be William Weld, but forget it. Yeah. Uh, uh, on another topic, we don't have much time left. But uh, Michael Cohen comes back this week.
0: Yes, he does. Yes, he does.
1: Uh, so yet this will be the fourth day of testimony uh, on the Hill. Um, what what's the um, lasting impact of uh, well, lasting? It's a little t- too far, but. Um, Impact so far of Cohen's testimony last week. Uh, kind of, in fact, uh, uh, let, me, let me answer that question in a sense by playing Jerry Nadler yesterday, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, the one thing that, so the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee on Meet the Press, I believe it was yesterday. Uh, he
2: was on ABC's this week.
1: ABC's this week, right? Talking about here's what's going to happen. He's talking yesterday, so he says tomorrow. Here's what's going to happen today, Monday. Tomorrow. We will be uh, issuing document requests to over 60 different people and individuals uh, uh, from the White House uh, to the Department of Justice, Donald Trump Jr., Allen Weisselberg. Uh, So Michael Cohen named all these people, and now they're going to be called in.
0: Oh, yeah. Michael Cohen definitely named names, and I I think he was ready to work with House Judiciary in any way he could. There's this revamping of Michael Cohen's image, which I find really interesting. It's kind of what happened to James Comey. This like reclamation of Michael Cohen as this resistance hero, which <laughs> pardon me, right? Um, I think beyond him telling us, you know, some incremental details of what Trump knew and didn't know during the hearings, which I find very important, which but may not reverberate outside of D.C. and New York much. That. He is now on the Democrat side or he is now on truth side. And I find that that narrative quite interesting. And I'm I'm curious how long that he can ride the wave of that into this week.
1: Right. But, you know, he did point out uh, there are people that I worked with uh, who could corroborate what I've told you Mm -hmm. and maybe provide some more information. Uh, Alan Weisselberg, the CFO, Jay Sekulow, White House attorney, who said edited. His testimony when he lied in front of Congress about how long he'd been dealing on the, uh, how, how, uh, uh, through the campaign, he'd been dealing on the Moscow uh, uh, hotel project, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he mentioned Donald Trump Jr., he mentioned Ivanka, um, and Jerry Nadler says we're going to go after him, we want to hear from all of them now.
0: Yeah. I'd be really, really interested to see those testimonies because you know people have been really punching, like Republicans were really punching on Michael Cohen, bringing signs saying, you know, he was quotes about him being a liar. Like they can't do that with Ivanka, you know, they're they're probably not gonna do that with Donald Trump Jr. So it's interesting to see how their messaging is gonna change and how their tactics are gonna change once these people in Trump world take the hot seat.
1: Right, um, and you're right. I think with Michael Cohen. Um he admitted he's he 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 lied to Congress, right? right? He's an admitted known liar. Uh, at the same time, now that he's going to jail, it was almost like, what does he have to lose, right? Well,
0: because yeah, that that's that's his story, right? Yeah, he's like, well, I'm I'm going to jail. It's not going to be fun. Well, probably fun than more fun than a lot of other people in prison, but still, um, he feels like he's at the point to speak his whole truth. We'll see.
1: Right, uh, and on several on several areas, as we've talked about. Where he, uh, like for for Roger Stone, if what he said is true, that Donald Trump knew about what Roger Stone was doing with Julian Assange and WikiLeaks Mm -hmm. ahead of when that actually came out, that gets pretty close to collusion. Jerry Nadler also said yesterday, for the record, that he is um, convinced that Donald Trump has obstructed justice. Which is certainly an impeachable offense. He didn't say we're going to start impeachment hearings, but if he's saying the president obstructed justice, that would be grounds for impeachment.
0: So, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, and he said that based a lot on what Michael Cohen said last week. So,
0: um, bracing for that news cycle. <laughs> right, well,
1: you know, you should get the week off after having to cover CPAC. Highway, <laughs> yeah, I but, hope yeah. so.
0: <laughs> we'll try. I'm trying my best.
1: <laughs> okay, Brittany, thanks so much for coming in. Check out the Washingtonian at Washingtonian.com. Uh, Uh, Now, where do we go next on North Korea and other foreign policy hotspots? We'll get into that with Alex Ward coming up next, uh, who covers uh, national security and defense issues for Vox. It's the Bill Press Show, Monday, March 4. Quick break. We'll
2: be right back. Don't go away. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast. Search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes and catch the highlights from every show.
1: How about it? Here we are, Monday, March 4, the Bill Press Show, live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio on Capitol Hill, right in the heart of the action. Congress coming back today. They'll be voting this week on H.R. 1, the big voting uh, voting reform bill and campaign finance reform bill in the House, which was the Democrats' top priority issue. We're brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees, those good men and women, Uh, From the AFGE, under President J. David Cox, who uh, staff and keep all of the federal agencies running day in and day out, Uh, they're proud uh, to get up and work for America and um, work for Americans every single day. We salute them, thank them for the support of the program, direct you to their website at AFGE.org. And welcome to the program from Vox, covering national security and defense issues, Alex Ward. Alex, good to see you.
5: Pleasure to be back.
1: Thanks for coming in. Before we jump into news stuff, um, uh, we've had the uh, Twitter line just humming all morning there. Twitter line is open. Twitter line is
2: open at BP Show. If you have any comments on any topic, of course, at any time, we can uh, read them there. Let's first of all go back to our conversation that we had with Winsome McIntosh all about the ERA and women running for office. Babs says... You'll never solve a problem that has been misdiagnosed for decades. White women have impeded the women's movement. They don't vote for Democrats.
4: Hmm. Uh,
2: A scary thought, but also one that in the last election uh, proved to be somewhat true. Uh, Also, somebody not very happy about Hickenlooper getting in the race. Joe says, oh, good. Another centrist Democrat touting his ability to work with Republicans as a positive. Republicans cede a millimeter of ground to the Democrats. The entire GOP loses its mind, but Democrats are expected to suck it up because compromise is how things get done. Whatever, (laughs) says Joe on Twitter. If you have a comment. I gather
1: a, he won't be supporting Hickenlooper in the Democratic primary.
2: It sounds like he's not going to be supporting John Hickenlooper, no. I don't uh, think
1: he has too much to worry about, too. I don't think Hickenlooper is going to be one of the front runners.
2: I don't think so either. I think that's probably fair. Yeah. I mean, look, as far as I'm concerned, the more the merrier. Same here. Get in. Go for it. And if you can make the case, all good. But if you have a comment on John Hickenlooper or anybody uh, running for president or any other topic, at any time, you can find us on Twitter, at BP Show.
1: All right. Thank you, Peter. Uh, so, Alex, um, the summit last week, that was a long way to go for nothing, huh?
5: Nothing It might be too strong. I mean, I think in terms of getting the deal that we all expected, you know, for them to sign something, yes, a long way to go to come up with actually nothing on paper. If it is a longer-term process, though, which it seems to be the case, then I think it's a bump in the road of a longer step. But I, but I would agree, at least with, with the general thrust of what you're asking, which is, you don't travel all the way to Vietnam if you're going to not have anything signed on paper.
1: And right? shouldn't you uh, – uh, uh, well, the normal way to work it, I guess, for summits – and we've seen a few summits in the past, so right. there's a pattern or right. there's, a, uh, I guess, a way to approach it, which is you do a lot of the groundwork ahead of time and basically you've got the deal agreed to before you get there.
5: No, exactly right. And so I think
1: – Which was not the case this time.
5: Correct. I think in this case – Let's put it. Let's put it this way. There it had been decades of the U.S. and others working with North Korea through the normal process, right, to make something happen. So there right. was at least an argument to make that. Let's flip this on its head. Right. Kim Jong Un is the ultimate decision maker. Maybe having some sort of rapport with him will maybe you know trickle down through the North Korean bureaucracy. So that was Trump's theory of the case. Hanoi was his chance to prove it. At that moment, he didn't prove that this personality thing will work. And so now we're going back, it seems, to that normal process of have the working level folks work out some details and see what happens. You know, if they, if the U.S. If, or sorry, if the Trump administration were doing this like they're doing this China tariff stuff, you can almost imagine a bit more progress. But we still have the main issue here with North Korea, which is we want them to give up their nuclear weapons. They don't want to give up their nuclear weapons. And so we're always going to be at an impasse.
1: Um, and. Uh, I believe they never will. But at any rate, so Donald, from what I've read about the pace of the summit, and I talked to several reporters over the weekend who had just got back from North Korea, is that um, at this dinner the night before their first scheduled day of talks, Donald Trump just throws out, okay, here's the deal. Let's just make a deal right now, right? You give up. Your nuclear weapons. You destroy your nuclear weapons and you destroy your main production facility. Like basically shut down your entire nuclear operation and then we'll lift the sanctions. And Kim Jong-un said, you're crazy, right? I mean, and ahead of time, everybody, including, I thought, John Bolton said, there is no way that North Korea would do that. Why did Donald Trump think that they would? Just because he's such an intoxicating personality as Michael Cohen Called
5: him. I think it's possible that Trump thought he does have this rapport with Kim. You know, this is a big moment. They both needed something huge. Uh, they fell in love. They fell, fell in love. love.
1: Actually, said they fell in love. Right.
5: Yeah. And, and you know, we've known that Trump is just showing the letters he gets from Kim to anyone who'll yes. walk into yeah. the Oval Office saying, look, I right. basically, I solved this guy. I've reached out to right. him. And to a certain extent, there's true the love letters here. Right. Yeah. There, to a certain extent, that's true. Right. But that's still, even if Kim actually likes Trump, we're not sure that's true. But they do seem to have some sort of rapport. But at a minimum, we know that the main issue stays the same, right? As you said, North Korea is probably not going to give up its nuclear weapons. So for Trump to offer, hey, end your entire production, on top of that, give up your chemical weapons and your biological weapons and all that stuff in exchange for sanctions relief, that was never going to work. Uh, And so and and I think Bolton probably is pushing in that direction. I don't think he wants his diplomacy to work. Was Kim Jong-un playing Donald Trump? That's the question, I mean that's the million dollar question. I wouldn't be surprised, I think Kim was trying to, Kim doesn't thinks Trump is a mark, as do a lot of foreign leaders. And so, in a sense, can he go there and hopefully get these main sanctions lifted off for closing down what is an important nuclear facility at Yongbyon, let's not m- knock that. Mm-hmm. But that would be a bad deal for the US, right? They shut down a, an important facility nonetheless, but then all of the economic pressure really is off of North Korea. So. And- Okay, so
1: it seems that we've, uh, 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 and Donald Trump has indicated this, in fact, Peter, if we have that quote from um, CPAC on Saturday, uh, it, it, he, he talks about auto beer, but at the beginning of it, he talks about the testing.
3: We have no testing, no missiles going up, no rockets going up, no nuclear testing. We got our great people back. We get our great, great people, and that includes our beautiful, beautiful Otto.
1: Uh, we'll get to that part yeah. in just a minute. <laughs> but the first part of it, no testing. So it's sort of been now reduced in Donald Trump's mind, and he said this even before he went, Right. that as long as they're not testing, everything's okay. Yeah. Now, why aren't they testing, and what if they do test, right? I mm-hmm. mean, is that the minimum That's that's— As long as they don't test, we don't care how many nukes they build.
5: I think that's what's going on in Trump's mind. I think he does want the big deal. But as long as North Korea doesn't make him look bad, he's kind of fine with the status quo. I think it's worth taking a quick step back and to think and to remember that the Chinese and the Russians have been pushing what's called the freeze for freeze deal for a really long time, which is basically the U.S. and South Korea freeze their military exercises and North Korea freezes its testing. We have a de facto freeze for freeze deal now. Right. North Korea is not testing nuclear weapons, they're missiles. And we're not. We've just canceled exercises with South Korea. Uh, this is what the Chinese and Russians wanted. This is probably what the North Koreans therefore wanted. Um, that's a pretty big move for them. And on top of that, we've heard Kim Jong-un already say, I don't need to test anymore. My nukes are good. My missiles are good. Right. Now I'm working on the economics. So North Korea really has not given up much. We've given up a pretty big alliance. That's, structure that's my North sense
1: Korea. is they're not testing because they don't have to.
5: Sure. I mean, in fact, they don't really need to. Do we know that their ICBM but, could reach the U.S.? Probably not. But still, they, they've they've advanced enough that the reason for provocative testing is gone.
1: And one um, article that I read the other day was that they built maybe five or six nuclear weapons in the last year. We believe.
5: Yeah, they keep. They. they, they you mean keep, John Bolton even admitted that yesterday that the production continues, and so they could have been and likely have been developing more nuclear weapons throughout the time.
1: Um. So what do we, I mean, you know, to, to me, that's what do we gain, right?
5: No, exactly. I mean, remember Trump, when he came back from Singapore last year, said there's no longer a nuclear threat from North Korea. Well, of right. course there is. It's only gotten worse, actually, uh, and very likely has gotten worse. So what? It, again, we, we come back to, I think in Trump's mind, as long as North Korea doesn't make him look bad, I think Trump equates the North Korean threat with they test missiles, mm-hmm. right? And so as long as they don't do that, he's good. He looks good. He solved North Korea. This leads to a question that you alluded to earlier, which is what happens if North Korea tests again, whatever it may be. Now we start asking the, OK, do, do the advisors around Trump, the Bolton's, the Pompeo's of the world go, you know, Mr. President, you tried diplomacy. Singapore somewhat paved the way, but Hanoi failed. Now they're testing again. Maybe the diplomatic path won't work. So the
1: ultimate goal, in addition to this denuclearization of the peninsula, but also just kind of Restoration of normalcy, almost, or some kind of stability, on the peninsula. Uh, that that seems to be happening, doesn't it? I mean, between North and South Korea, I mean, the tension has certainly been reduced dramatically.
5: Yes, absolutely, and in fact, that's probably and that's good. Yes, and that's the. I think it's worth noting that there are sort of two tracks happening here. There's the U.S. North Korea negotiations over yes. the nuclear weapons, right? And there's the North Korea South Korea negotiations over improvement of ties. Yeah, I. It's let's we can keep North Korea's real intentions out of here for a moment. But in terms of the, you, the South and, and, and North talks, their whole goal is to create economic incentives between the countries to increase political ties to almost, in fact, have kind of like two states, one peninsula, EU kind of deal um, where they further integrate. They are blocked by doing that. From the US North Korea from the US sanctions on North Korea. Mm-hmm. And so one of South Korea's main objectives right now is hey, can you guys, you know, do a sanctions for something deal so then now Pyongyang and Seoul can work something out? And so now it looks like President Moon of South Korea <coughs> is trying to get a three-way talk happening. Mm-hmm. So they can sort of move past this moment. Uh that seems, I think, going I think that's going to be the way forward after Hanoi. Because I would be shocked if I mean, I sorry. I wouldn't be shocked if Trump wanted to meet Kim again, but I would be shocked if the U.S. apparatus behind Trump would go, "Hey, you know, yes, but we're we're definitely not going to let you go anywhere until we have something that we could work out."
1: Um, I think you're right. I don't. I think uh, there will be a third summit. I mean, they're already talking about the possibility of a third summit and a fourth and a fifth. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, because they're in love. Why not? <laughs> Is there? is it in any way believable that kim jong un did not know about auto warm beer
5: i would if gone to my head uh i think of course kim jong un knew uh i think he knew because there was a big you know he's show trial citizen. he's an american citizen there was a There's big a show big trial big show trial right so yeah. it would it would just be let me put it this way if kim jong un didn't know that would be a dereliction of duty on his part right he would have had to have known uh,
1: everything from everything we know about him, right? Yeah. So and the people that he's personally ordered mm, murdered.
5: By. Now, what I, I'm going to give what I think is my kindest interpretation of what Trump may have meant. What I think he may have meant was there are, you know, people in North Korea that run the prison camps that do things that you know Trump doesn't directly order them to do, and maybe one of them stepped out of line. Except
1: Kim Jong doesn't order yeah, them to exactly. do. Exactly. Kim Jong yeah.
5: doesn't order them to do, and you know, they may have stepped out of line. Okay. That may be true. But either way, who's in charge of those prison camps? Right. Who's in charge? I mean, that's Kim Jong Un. So regardless, he is responsible for what happened to Otto. I mean, that's just that's just a fact. Yeah. Right. So for Trump to even broach it the way he did, I thought was just one. I mean, politically an own goal, but morally just you know awful.
1: But yeah, but but I think you're right. that may be the worst possible. But the it, it, reading is that when it comes to an American citizen, you know that yeah. that that rings a bell, right, inside of North Korea, sure. right? And particularly when there's a public show trial. Yeah, the idea that the leader of the country doesn't know about it.
5: Yeah, right. I I I don't buy it. I mean, if you know, if you're willing to believe that, um, you know, Jamal Khashoggi knew about, or sorry, excuse me, that uh, Mohammed bin Salman knew about the murder of Jamal Khashoggi inside of a yeah. consulate in Istanbul. Well, you're def, you know, Kim Jong Un is definitely going to know about an American prisoner in North Korea. I mean, you you anyway.
1: Uh, the president has said that uh, several times that ISIS is done; they're gone, and we can bring all of our troops home from Syria. Now we're leaving maybe four hundred there. That's changed. We're not; it's not automatic. Not right away. There were two hundred now, four hundred. But at any rate, based on the premise that ISIS has been destroyed and we don't have to worry about them any longer. Yes, no.
5: Uh, caveats, as usual, apply. The ISIS territory. Is gone, right? So the caliphate that existed, starting years ago, that was the size of Britain, roughly between Iraq and Syria, that's gone. ISIS fighters and ISIS ideology remain. So take away that's territory. That's yes, Trump and has done that. Great, that's important. And not a, not a is that
1: a hundred percent? Now it's it's just one little. It's one remnant, little right? one little yeah, yeah I mean, town or something. One yeah, town. it's not.
5: It was at least ninety nine percent. He says it's a hundred. I mean, it might as well be right. Um, so fine. But the terrorist group, the fighters still remain. And so if you're thinking, you know, the threat of ISIS is gone, that's just not true. Right.
1: Uh, And as we saw with um, al-Qaeda, right? I mean, they may lose territory, but that doesn't mean they lose their mission or abandon their mission, right? They just pop up somewhere else. Yep. They can inspire... Uh, Sometimes under a different name.
5: Right. They can inspire attacks still online, right? They can inspire lone wolves. They can... They have franchises out throughout the world, so in Asia and Africa, of course, still in the Middle East. So, you know, this threat is still live. It will exist. It may be diminished in the sense of the propaganda win of we have created the caliphate. Yeah, that matters, right? Again, it's a big win on part of the U.S.-led coalition to get rid of the territory. The job's not done. Uh, I don't, and I'll be honest, I don't think Trump thinks the job is done, but I do think, you know, shocking timing after Hanoi, yeah, and he's with troops for him to go. Oh yeah, we did a hundred percent. Now he had said he was he was going to announce soon that a hundred percent of the caliphate was gone. Uh, surprising to me, at least, that he announces it. You know, hours after the Hanoi summit kind of tanks or doesn't meet the expectations that were expected. Right, and,
1: and by the way, this leaves Syria as a failed U.S. mission, doesn't it? I mean. Uh, I remember I was at the White House every day under the Obama administration. Right. The goal was that there was no way that we would accept uh, Bashar al-Assad still in power. And here he is years later. Uh, Civil War is still raging on. But for all practical purposes, the government has won.
5: Yeah, this is this is where it can get complicated. I mean, I think the u the trump administration has been very clear that the us troops are there solely for isis they were never there to go after assad right yes right? and so for if the goal was assad must go which that, was i'm
1: saying that was obama's right, goal exactly, but, yes, right exactly yes exactly that I was i think is still technically the us in a set, and foreign they would like for goal. him
5: to go i think yeah. probably but that's never really been the trump administration's thrust so y- I guess to say, that is it a failed mission? I think in terms of the original American intention of we will get somewhat involved to remove Assad. Yes, that goal was that we did not complete that. And it's not looking likely anytime soon. In fact, Assad, by all intents and purposes, has won that civil Mm -hmm. war. Uh, But in terms of the American, at least the Trump administration's mission of let's get rid of ISIS territory in Syria. Well, that that's successful.
1: Right. Uh, I must admit that I am torn about this uh, and I'm um, I'm interested in your your views. There have been several stories lately about young American women who left the United States uh, responding to these ads and went over there and married ISIS fighters, joined the, joined the enemies of the United States, married these ISIS fighters and, um, and had children by them. And now that ISIS is defeated, they want to come home to the United States. Do we want them? Should we let them in? Let them back? Ah,
5: man, Uh, this is this gets into. it. there's there's no
1: right and wrong here, right? I'm just, uh, I have to to tell you, as liberal as I am, my initial reaction is, hell no! You made your choice. You were old enough. I don't know. They were still young. Maybe some of them are 16, whatever, uh, or or younger. But they they knew what they were. They knew what they were doing.
5: I mean, as I'll go. I'll go with a wide interpretation here, in the sense of, you know, you you if you willingly join an organization that one of their goals is, you know, to hurt American citizens, the United States. Is their
1: avowed goal? they enemies of the United States.
5: Right. If you join an enemy of the United States, yeah, you know, I it I have not, I have very little sympathy for you. Is is uh, is one of the? I mean, I I'll go with a roundabout way. Remember the when we killed uh, Alaki, <laughs> right Anwar al Alaki. Yes. The, the, yes. Right. So. This is a it's a different but somewhat similar in the way I think about this, which is he was a a massive, important figure in Al-Qaeda. We killed him. He's an American citizen, though. And so it was one of these weird things where we, you know, an American government decided to kill an American citizen because of their beliefs and whatnot. Now, of course, you can go he was a very, you know, (laughs) important Al-Qaeda figure. And so he deserved it. I think that's a fair interpretation. I also get the interpretation of He was an American
1: citizen who was advocating people to kill Americans exactly and attack right. the United States. Yeah. To me, that's pretty clear line.
5: Yeah. So I think that – I know this gets into legalese and I'm not a legal expert. I would just think that I think when you have – you can definitely make the moral cases on this, right? If you are advocating the death of Americans, you know, I totally get – at least get this administration's argument that you don't get to come back. You don't get to be an American again. Uh I, I can totally see that. That's all.
1: <laughs> all right, Peter.
5: I agree,
2: man. Like, what are we talking about here? You know, you made your choice. Yeah, you made your but, choice.
1: Okay, I'm just glad I'm not the only heart. No, 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 here. no, no. Look, oh, I, okay. I
2: mean, I'm with you. All right, I'd like to think that you know, uh, I'm a little bit of a bleeding heart, right? But also, once you make that choice, I, how do you welcome that?
1: I mean, this that, is
2: someone like that back.
1: This is not just somebody saying. You know, um, I've lived in Paris for the last fifteen years. Right. You know, right. and uh
2: right.
1: And I'm a, as an expat, mm-hmm. right. Or I've lived mm-hmm. in Mexico or somewhere, and I w- I'd like to come back to the United States. No, no, this is different. This right. is somebody who 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 joined the sworn enemies right. of the United States knowingly, yep. knowingly.
5: I, I think of it almost this way in a hypothetical that you know imagine there's you know two sort of there's so two. Guess what? Fights. Your
1: side lost. Tough. Right.
5: No, exactly. I mean, imagine two sides shooting at each other, and then your, you know, the person next to you goes and joins the other side, is now shooting at your side. You know, are you not supposed to shoot back because they right. used to be on you? Like that's right. kind of what happened here, right? We we're on one team. You join the other team. That's fighting our. That's fighting. You know, our team. Yeah. Sorry. You mm-hmm. you, you switch sides.
1: Right. So, um, um, how soon is the um? Uh, 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 I must say at the at the Gridiron Dinner Saturday night. Um Jared Kushner was there. Um I didn't have a chance to ask him actually I did have a chance, I didn't even want to talk to him, uh <laughs> about how soon he's going we're going to see peace in the Middle East. He's been bouncing around meeting with uh, all the Arab leaders, including MBS. We don't know whether they talked about Jamal Khashoggi or not. Um I'd guess not. I would guess not, <laughs> as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um What's what's the the latest on the, the Kushner effort?
5: It looks like there is at least an outline of some sort of peace process that we will see um, from the little I've read. I'll admit I've 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 covered it a lot less, but it it seems similar to past plans. Right. They're going to have a discussion about border drawing. Um, nothing new here. Uh, this is this is what I've always found interesting about the Trump administration, just to widen the scope for a second, is I don't mind actually an administration coming in and red teaming past American processes and, and thinking that's actually healthy and good. Yeah, we almost uh,
1: expect any administration to do that
5: exactly. Uh, but what we found is, for as much as this administration said they were going to disrupt the American process on diplomacy, they're running into the exact same traps, right? With North <laughs> Korea, with the Middle East peace process, with Afghanistan, with Syria, uh, everywhere. Uh, so they, so now that they've tried to disrupt, and they failed, now they actually don't know what to do within the normal channels. And so mm-hmm. to believe that, not now that they're going back to the normal channels, to believe that Jared Kushner is the mastermind behind all this, that he can you know ch- fix this long problem, is hard to believe. And from the little that we've seen come out, it looks like what he's offering isn't that much different anyway.
1: Right. You did mention Afghanistan. I should ask you about that, sure. too. Because, I mean, look, longest war ever, yeah. right? Uh, for us, at any rate. Um, And the president says, and as Barack Obama said before, got to bring our two films. Just have about 30 seconds. Sure. We're going to see a massive reduction of troops there, which leaves the Taliban in charge?
5: I mean, I think the Taliban was going to be in charge anyway, kind of regardless of what we did. So I think we're going to see, uh, I think that plan will probably work out where we'll see about half of American troops come home and then in the longer term, they will all come home. But hey, you know, Hard to believe that there was going to be victory anyway, so it's worth considering this.
1: So I would have to say Syria and Afghanistan, another failed, <laughs> two more failed. Afghanistan America. for sure is a failure, yes. Yeah, right, and we just, uh, just have to accept that. Well, Alex, we almost solved all the world's problems,
2: but not quite.
1: <laughs> Thanks so much for coming in today. Huh? Uh, here we are, a new week, just getting started. Folks, make the most of Monday and come see back and see us tomorrow. Here's the Bill Press Show.